Matthew 2, <laughs> verses 1 to 12, is what I'll be reading. <laughs> Let us hear the gospel. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Praise Christ for his glorious gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Please be seated. You can stay right there with me. It's, what, what page is this, 808 or 809 or something like that in your pew Bible. Stay with me in Matthew 2. Let's pray that prayer we pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Thank you again to Reverend Green for filling in last week. And for Andrew filling in on piano. That was wonderful. I very seldom get to sit with my wife, so that's kind of nice. I said a couple weeks ago that we had finished our travels through the book of Matthew. I lied. Um, I kind of changed my mind midweek here. I, I realized I'd never preached on the coming of the Magi. Uh, And uh, I don't usually recognize Epiphany in any formal way, uh, but I thought it was worth looking at this text today. Uh, How many of you still have your Christmas tree up? Good. See? I like to drag it out usually till February. (laughs) Then we put it in the yard to dry out for a few more months. Then we're going to take it to Jason's house to burn it. Um, But, you know, it's funny. I I like to drag Christmas out. the 12 days of Christmas, I've mentioned this before, I think, you know, when I was growing up, that was just a, you know, a mostly annoying Percy Faith recording, but what I've come to appreciate about having 12 days of Christmas and about uh, marking Epiphany at least a little bit is that it allows for late Christmas presents. Uh, that's convenient for people who are forgetful and don't plan well, like myself, and, um, you know, it's not always my fault. Sometimes packages get lost in the mail. And, uh, you know, but Epiphany is kind of like the ultimate procrastinator's excuse. You have 12 days of catch-up here. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card for late presents. Now, I have a sister who's in the military, uh, who was actually in town for Christmas this year for the first time in many years. Um, So that was an exception. Usually, we we mail her family a box of something. Uh, 
usually silly joke gifts and then some gift cards. But typically, uh, I'm lucky if I get it in the mail by Christmas Eve. That is my routine, uh, which means it is always late, which always leaves us scrambling for excuses. Now, she lives in California now, but uh, uh, she was in Europe for a time, and so Epiphany became a really good excuse when she was stationed in Italy. We adopted the Italian folklore about La Bafana, who is the Christmas witch in Italy. Uh, the name probably apparently derives from Epiphany anyway, but the story is very typical of Catholic fairy tales in Italy. Uh, the story is that the wise men stopped at her house on the way to see Jesus. They invited her to join them, but she was too busy with housework. Uh, later, she felt bad, and she tried to go find them and never did. And so to this day, she brings Epiphany presents to every child just in case one of them might be Jesus. <laughs> Italians are so predictably silly. But for some years, that was what we did. We would send gifts to my sister's family when we would sign the package, like, from La Bafana. Um, in any event, everyone likes late presents, right? Don't they? Because it means that it's still Christmas and we can drag things out into the new year and still be celebrating. And there's nothing like the feeling that you weren't forgotten after all. Um, and for that reason alone, it's certainly worth remembering the visit of the Magi. And we seem to realize that because we include the wise men in all of our nativity scenes, don't we? I'm pretty sure they're on just about all of these sets here on the windowsills. Um, of course, that's an anachronism, because they weren't there on Christmas morning. Uh, the star didn't appear until the birth, and they had a long way to travel. Uh, so it was likely much later when they showed up, not just 12 days, but show up they did, and it creates quite a stir. At least, you know, they bring presents, so I guess that you know makes things a little bit better. But this is perhaps the strangest story surrounding the birth of Jesus. And that's saying something, because there's a lot of weird stuff going on in here already, right? It presents new mysteries that are not easily solved, and, and Matthew does almost nothing at all to clarify the obvious questions. Uh, for instance, we don't really know who these guys are. Uh, a popular hymn refers to them as three kings. Of course, Matthew doesn't give a number here at all, and the idea of there being kings doesn't really fly uh, that idea seems to come from an overreading of Isaiah 60. Uh, all we really know is that Matthew refers to them as magi, which is the plural of mage. Uh, most of us haven't heard of a mage outside of playing Warcraft, but it, uh, it has the mystical aura of magic about it, right? It's, it's right there in the name, magi. But Matthew doesn't explain what that means. So we don't know who they are. We don't know how many of them there are uh, or what they do for a living exactly. Matthew just kind of drops them in our laps without a whole lot of context. We also don't know exactly where they come from. Matthew says the east. Maybe you've looked at a map. I don't know. Uh, that doesn't narrow the field a whole lot. Uh, the story takes place in what we would now call the Middle East, right? But there's an awful lot of east that comes after that point, right? Right. Uh, Furthermore, the star thing is never really explained. Most stars don't have a habit of appearing suddenly, right? Nor do they stop in an oddly specific location, like over an individual house, right? Uh, and this has led many to doubt if it's a star at all. Maybe it's some other phenomenon, like a comet. That's possible. We don't know. Uh, it also raises the question of whether everyone else saw this thing, right? So you have a lot of people have spent many hours researching ancient records of astronomical events in that time period to see what this thing is, but no one can say for sure. And again, Matthew doesn't spend any time explaining it. 
which makes me think that all these issues are kind of irrelevant to Matthew's point. Now, in fairness, many scholars have tried for years to piece together what's happening here, right? And, and plenty of plausible answers are given. Most seem to think that these magi are probably from Persia. Uh, if they are, that means that they're probably Zoroastrians. That was an ancient dualistic religion in Persia. Uh, and they think this partly because Zoroastrian priests were also called magi, so there's an argument to be made there. And so scholars generally assume these are pagan priests from what would be modern-day Iran. And again, there are many theories about the star, but Matthew doesn't supply any of that. And he didn't write this account assuming that his readers would have access to Wikipedia. Any idiot, even a PCA pastor, can sound educated with Wikipedia. (laughs) But put yourselves in the shoes of Matthew's original readers. The, the, The picture Matthew gives us is that these foreign guys just appear out of the blue. Uh, Exotic magicians show up looking for a baby king, Jesus. It's a weird story, and it feels utterly random. And and I bet Matthew's original audience felt much the same way. Who in the world are these guys? What does this have to do with anything? And maybe the real key question in all of this is, like, who invited these guys? Who invited them? It's like the weirdest, most awkward birthday party of all time. It's very late. All the guests are uninvited. They probably don't speak the language. At most, maybe they know a little Greek. They probably have very thick accents. They don't seem to even know where they're going or exactly what they're looking for. So why is this here? Matthew doesn't answer many of those questions, but he does tell this story for a reason. Uh, One obvious reason is that this actually happened. Uh, Matthew is giving a history of Jesus after all, but there's a reason that God himself includes this event in the story that he is telling. And while none of the other gospel writers included this part in the story, Matthew does it with certain intentions. And I think, well, maybe it's partly that Matthew likes late Christmas presents and unexpected guests, um, but he's telling his version of the nativity story, and, and he's focused less on the event itself, you know, more and more on the immediate results of what happened after Jesus was born. Uh, Luke gives all the details of the pregnancy and birth. Matthew is recording sort of the ripple effect of the incarnation. Christmas really did change the world, and Matthew wants to give us a taste of how. So let's follow through the series of events, right? Some strangers show up in Jerusalem. Again, not a lot of context before it, right? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Okay. Let me emphasize once again that Matthew doesn't give a detailed explanation of who they are or exactly where they come from. He says nothing about Persia or Zoroastrianism or anything else. But there are several key facts Matthew gives us. First off, we are hearing that this happens after the birth. The guests are arriving late, right? Second, that they come from the east. Again, not very specific, but it does tell us one key thing, and that's that they are outside of the Roman Empire. Because Judea represented sort of the eastern frontier of the Roman territory, right? So anything to the east of Judea is basically the equivalent of those old-timey maps that have like written on there, you know, here be dragons. And the last time the Jews interacted with the east is when they were subjugated by the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians. So at this point in history, the East is kind of about, that's about as far in as it's going to get. Uh, 
it's going to mean that these guys probably don't know Hebrew. They probably don't know a whole lot of Greek or Latin either. Basically, they're even more foreign, culturally speaking, than Europe and Africa would be because those things were all kind of parts of them anyway, were part of the Roman Empire. But these guys, you know, at least if, if you were from Europe or Africa, you would be familiar with, you know, the Roman roads and towns and, and all of these things that stretch and connect everything, right? But, but these guys are from the outside. So Matthew is emphasizing right from the start how odd this visit is. There's no reason, none, for these guys to be here. News did not travel over there by the normal means. There's no way they should know anything about Jesus. And Matthew also wants us to know that these strangers went to the wrong place. They go to Jerusalem. That's understandable. They know that they're looking for a king. Uh, so after you follow the star this far, they naturally go to the capital and figure somebody can explain something. But Matthew also wants us to see that these foreign strangers kind of come across as rude. Now, why do I say that? I say that because they walked into a king's palace and asked the king, Herod, hey, where's the king? That's a strange question to ask the king, isn't it? If you walked up to King Charles III and asked him the same question, I think it would create some discomfort, especially given the fact that everybody knows nobody likes him. You're implying he's not legitimate. You want to know the replacement. And you'll notice that the wise men seem a little confused. They say they're looking for a king, but they don't have a name. Uh, and moreover, they don't say that they came to pay respects. They say that they came to worship. That's not normal behavior in most monarchies, especially if the king is not even your king. <coughs> so these foreigners show up late, a little bit lost. They're in the neighborhood, but a little confused and, and maybe a little bit rude, and they create quite a stir. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. I've heard you could read that in much stronger terms. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. I'm not sure this was their desired effect, uh, that they created this much of a stir. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Because part of me wonders why Herod didn't just laugh them off and send them home. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, why does Herod worry about what these wacky foreigners have to say about this thing? Well, context helps a bit here because Matthew's readers would probably remember that Herod was a paranoid king. He killed several of his own sons because he feared them. So to hear that he was paranoid about a messenger, uh, you know, bringing, messengers bringing him a, a news of a, a king, even if they're foreigners, right? The fact that he would take that seriously is not that shocking. Uh, but in any event, Herod, not being a particularly holy man, uh, he did not know his scripture very well. And more to the point, the Herods all being Sadducees, Herod did not accept the prophetic writings of the Old Testament. He only accepted the five books of Moses. So naturally, he's not exactly brushed up on the minor prophets or the book of Micah. So he does what he does know, is that some Jews are looking forward to a Messiah, and so his mind immediately goes to, he might be talking about this Christ thing. So ironically, Herod seems to know, or at least suspects, 
exactly who the baby is, even though these foreigners probably don't fully grasp it. So he sends for the religious leaders. He probably had to send for some Pharisees, his natural enemies, to get some more details about this Christ thing. And they say, oh, sure, yeah, Micah 5 says he'll be from Bethlehem. And Herod's like, what? The dusty little suburb down there. Oh, yeah, that's where David was from, you know. And Micah was prophesying many years after David, so he's referring to someone else, this Messiah. So definitely Bethlehem. Uh, Why do you ask? No reason, you know. And this is when Herod's wheels get really turning. Um, David is still regarded as the greatest king of Israel, right? And now some foreigners are looking for a king that will apparently surpass David. And Herod's putting two and two together, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I wasn't born in Bethlehem, um, so they're not looking for me. And it doesn't sound like they're looking for any of my progeny either. Uh, I better take care of this thing. Now, I don't know if Herod actually believed these guys would actually find anything in Bethlehem, but if you're a paranoid king, even rumors are dangerous. It doesn't matter so much whether the rumor is even true. The fact is, if people believe the rumor that a new king is born, that's a problem. No wonder Herod is troubled. A newborn king is not good news for a wicked incumbent. So Matthew says he sends for the Magi secretly. Don't even let the religious leaders hear this conversation because they want a Messiah and they, don't, they know he doesn't even believe in one, so he does this on the sly. Uh, but it's interesting that Matthew says that actually all of Jerusalem was troubled, not just Herod. That's slightly more puzzling. After all, Herod is only a client king of Rome. You would think that the commoners of Jerusalem don't have much of a vested interest either way. But the fact is that Herod the Great, for all his flaws, was a strong leader. He built great cities and harbors and fortresses. He even built the new temple. Not to mention, many of the priests and the other leaders owed their positions to him. So if you're a Jew and you live in Roman Judea, like him or not, Herod's kind of your guy. He's the closest thing you have to a Jewish representative in government. He had a lot of independence within the Roman system. He had his own troops. He collected his own taxes. He could run his own ship. Basically, Herod kept the Romans out of Judea and out of Jewish affairs to an extent. He was like a buffer zone between Rome and the common people. So rumors of a replacement could be unsettling. Because in some ways, as we know, it's better the devil you know than the one you don't know. So, in the name of stability and national security, Herod hatches a devious plan. says, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Of course, if you only read these verses, it would sound like maybe Herod was coming around, but of course we know the rest of the story, don't we? Herod's out for blood. And by asking when the star appeared, we get the idea of just how late these visitors actually are. It must have been some time ago, because in a few days after they sort of stab him in the back, right, Herod is going to order the slaughter of all the boys under the age of two in Bethlehem, which seems to indicate that the star appeared more than a few days ago. Maybe months, maybe a year ago. Something like that. So the picture we have here is that Joseph seems to have made an executive decision to stay in Bethlehem. He's been there for a while, and that's understandable. He's away from all the whispering voices in Nazareth. 
his family is originally from here. Maybe he still has some distant relatives and cousins around. So he can set up shop right here and start a new life with Mary where people aren't talking about where is this baby coming from. But this also indicates that these wise men have been studying this star for some time. This is not a trip that they made in haste right away on the spur of the moment. This is a journey that has been many months in the works, something they've been preparing for. And yet they come with such energy. They say they come to worship, and that's not just idle talk. They come loaded for bear with not just gifts, they bring treasures. Look how Matthew words it here. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Again, that's a strange star. Matthew says it rose like a normal star, but it stops. It comes to rest over the house. Most stars are not so exact as that. And such dedication out of these wise men, they show up in the middle of the night because that's when stars typically come out, right? Uh, But once again, I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes because that's been Matthew's perspective so far, right? You moved to Bethlehem precisely so you could live quietly away from all the rumor mills, right? All the rumors about this strange baby boy that you're raising as your own. And no one has said a word in Bethlehem because they don't know the background. They've never met Mary before this, and there was no social media to spread any vicious lies out of Nazareth. So things are just settling into a new normal. You're in a small town now. You're in a modest starter home. And here you are, after a long day's work, Probably just laid the baby down for bed. You're talking to your bride about how work was, your plans for tomorrow. Maybe you're sweet-talking her about how you enjoyed the dinner even though she burned it. Maybe you're bickering a little bit about money. Who knows? Typical home life of a young married couple, right? And uh, suddenly there's a knock at the door. You don't have a whole lot of close family in town here. And it's too late to be a business call, and it's not a normal time for a neighborly visit in the dark. So you think it could be an emergency, or it could be the cops. So you open the door slowly, cautiously, and you see a whole group of foreigners dressed in their finest because they're here to see royalty, and they have camels and wagons and servants, and the baby wakes up crying because of all the racket, And in broken Hebrew or maybe Greek, they say that they're here to see a baby. There's no translator probably around. They storm into the house. There's Mary sitting in the corner trying to quiet little Jesus down because they just woke him up. And they fall on their knees. And they open up their treasures and they lay kingly gifts on the floor. And they show more honor to this baby than they showed to Herod. I don't know how long they stayed there, but I imagine that you'd stay probably a couple of days if you've come this far, and this would have made quite a stir, especially in a small town like Bethlehem. And if you're Joseph, what's becoming clear is that the baby can't be hidden. He thought he got his family away from everything, but these magi have made it obvious that it didn't work. And it's also becoming clear that this baby means trouble. He means upheaval and unwanted attention and scandal and danger. And Joseph was probably happy when the spectacle ended and they left. Matthew tells us they slipped away quietly back to the east 
uh, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And that is the last we hear of these gentlemen. It's the most random, bizarre, and mysterious cameo in scripture since Melchizedek. They show up late, late for the birth, and late at night. They create an uproar in Jerusalem, leave a bunch of cash at a house in, Jer- in Bethlehem, and then they just disappear. It's like a cameo no one was looking for or asking for. What in the world are we supposed to learn from this event? Matthew's been telling the story so far through the eyes of Joseph. He's writing for a Jewish audience, right? Matthew's the Jewish gospel, right? What would Joseph have made of this? What would Jewish readers make of it? Frankly, I think they would all be confused and probably offended. Joseph might have gotten over it initially just because, I mean, look, they just dumped a pile of gold in your house, right? So I guess you can get over things a little quicker that way. But Matthew's target audience, the average Jewish reader who is curious about Jesus, I think they would find this story almost infuriating. Think of it. Matthew is supposed to be telling the story of a Jewish Messiah. But he just introduced some foreign pagans, possibly even pagan priests, and he has presented them as good guys as opposed to Herod and his Jewish religious leaders. This is after he already told a scandalous story about how Joseph even got into this mess. Now, I understand that Matthew's telling a history, and he can't help it if this actually happened. But even with that, every historian is selective about details. So why in the Jewish gospel does Matthew see fit to tell us that a foreign Gentile group of pagans were the first to actually worship the Christ child? Not even the shepherds did that in Luke's account. Who invited these guys anyway? Reverend Green has rightly pointed out to me that Epiphany is a celebration of the gospel going to the Gentiles. That's a big deal, and it predates Cornelius by at least 40 years. And most of us are Gentiles, so this story is good news for us. It means that right from the start, Jesus didn't come just for the lost house of Israel. Paul's mission to the Gentiles in the book of Acts isn't just a new idea. It has roots all the way back to the birth of Jesus. That's great news. It's worthy of celebration. But it doesn't explain why it's here in Matthew's Jewish gospel. Why is Matthew, of all of the gospel writers, the one to record this event? What would Jewish readers make of this story? Who invited these guys? Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? It was God. There's no natural way otherwise. God invited the wise men all the way from Persia or maybe beyond. And he did that by speaking to them through mysteries they did not fully understand and which would be utterly ludicrous by Old Testament or New Testament standards. I don't know about you, I've read the astrology columns in the paper before. They're good for a laugh. They're also useless because every one of them is designed to make you want it to be true. So I didn't even know what my astrological sign was, and I read this, it's like, oh yeah, that's true. And then you read, oh wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, that's the way it is. And there's a reason why it's in the back of the paper near the funnies. It's foolishness to take counsel in the zodiac signs and false prophecies. And yet God 
spoke to these magi, not through scripture or by prophets, but by the stars, because that's what they had. And he did that because the cosmos is his and he could. He used pagan astrology to summon these people to a late birthday party for his son. It's very strange, but true. God invited them. But why is Matthew so eager to tell the Jews about it? Why scandalize them again? Well, I think the reason Matthew includes it is actually to remind the Jews of who they are. And I think it's very much connected to why he began his genealogy in chapter 1 with Abraham and not Adam. Because the Jews were also called out of a pagan land by mysterious means. I, many years back, I, I taught a Sunday school class where I challenged the class to name some Gentiles who followed God in the Old Testament. And the, and the class was on the book of Ruth. That was our sort of obvious example. But, uh, you know, we named Rahab and some others. But uh, I suggested Abraham. And this met with immediate objections. Because who could be more Jewish than Abraham, right? But Abraham was called long before there was a Jewish nation. Israel was Jacob's nickname, right? That's his grandson. And the word Jewish is derived from Judah, his great-grandson. Abraham is a Gentile who God chose and set apart for his own purposes and his own glory. He was from Ur of the Chaldees, that's Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And Matthew, I think, is telling this story to remind the Jewish people that the last time God called a stranger out of the east, he built the nation that they became. This is their story. The wise men of the east are a throwback to what God started in the book of Genesis. The point of this story And the heart of the gospel of the kingdom of God is that God doesn't just choose and call a people. He builds a people from scratch. He's not limited by geography or ethnicity or language or international borders. He is building a people for himself, a kingdom that will rule all the other kingdoms. And it is centered on his son, the rightful king and heir, Jesus Christ. And God could have raised up a people from the very rocks, but he chooses to build his kingdom out of every tongue and nation. One day, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord, but the worldwide phenomenon that is the church started with the birth of Jesus, not the Apostle Paul. This cameo by the wise men is just a foreshadowing of what was to come. It's the beginning of the promise that Peter spoke about at Pentecost when he said that the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, even if he calls them by the stars. It's not about the wise men. The point is that they welcomed Jesus as a precious gift from heaven, a baby who would change everything. They know very little, but they know that he's here and they know that he's worthy of worship and God does not despise such worship. So, beloved, this story of the late birthday party, it's in here not as an endorsement of astrology, And it's not here because it'll clarify everything, because it certainly doesn't. I suspect we'll all go home with a lot of unanswered questions still, and that's okay. Matthew isn't trying to answer everything. But the story is here to remind all of us 
Jew and Gentile alike, that God is the one who does the calling. He alone is sovereign over salvation, and he doesn't choose based on bloodlines or pedigree or any standard that we can understand. He invites the weirdest people, and sometimes in the weirdest ways, to come and bow the knee and adore his son, the true king. And Jesus gladly receives their worship, even if they're a little late. That's the God we serve. He's calling a people to himself, and he's worth traveling the world for and creating a disturbance over. Amen? So come and worship, whether you understand everything or not, and welcome your eccentric neighbors to do the same, because God invites them, and Jesus likes late birthday presents. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, uh, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this story, Lord. It does seem like such a bizarre cameo, and yet you have such clear purpose in doing such a thing. We thank you that your word and your gospel has gone forth, Lord. It has not been confined to the, the nation state of Israel or this little Roman province, really, at that point, Lord. We thank you that Jesus is king over all. We thank you that we are privileged to be his subjects, that we serve a king that is higher than our government, who transcends all languages and all barriers. Lord, we rejoice in that. And we continue to rejoice in it throughout the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please stand and join me in singing the dog's song.